0: It's our privilege to have District Superintendent Olivia Metcalf with us this morning. Pastor Metcalf was raised in the parsonage of a Nazarene pastor, who was raised in the parsonage of a Nazarene pastor. She responded to the love of Christ early and consecrated her life to Christ completely as a teen. She met her future husband, Dustin, who is also a pastor at Northwest Nazarene University which is someplace so far west from here we can't even imagine how far away it is. They married and then attended Nazarene Theological Seminary in Kansas City together. They pastored two Nazarene churches together and more recently served as co-chaplains at Northwest Nazarene University. She was elected to the superintendency of the upstate New York district about two years ago now, roughly. Uh, She and her husband have two boys younger than my boys, and you are going to learn lots about her in the next four days, and we are delighted that you are here with us today. We're going to sing a song together to prepare for her message, and then after we sing that song, uh, Pastor Olivia will come and bring God's Word to us.
1: Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Because you are strong. You are sure. My heart Lord. Speak what?
2: It is such a privilege to have the opportunity to come and to be with you. I was telling your pastor I'd never been to Connecticut until yesterday when I drove across the state border because, as you heard, I came from a long way away in the Wild West out there. Grew up in the Pacific Northwest in the home of of a pastor. And for some of us, that means we sense that we're also called to be pastors because we witness what happens in that house. And for my brothers, they did not sense the same thing uh, and did not have a call to ministry. But when I first was called to ministry, I wasn't sure if I was really even allowed to do this. I had never heard a woman preach when I first sensed the Holy Spirit saying to me, I want you to preach the good news. But what a gift it is to be a part of the Church of the Nazarene that has always ordained women. And what a gift it is to be a part of what we call a connectional church. I keep hearing how many connections there are everywhere I go, not just in this northeastern part of the world where I now live, but everywhere to upstate New York. There are so many connections to where I live in our church But not just that, your pastor and I were talking about an important person in his life and in my life, Ed Robinson, who used to work at our seminary. And I'm reminded again and again of what a gift it is to be a part of the Church of the Nazarene. So it is a gift for me to stand here in the long line of legacies of ministers that have stood in this place but in pulpits across our denomination to say to you, God is good, God is at work, and God wants to do something in my life and in your life, and so thank you for what welcoming me to be here with you to open the scriptures. In the time that we have together, I'm going to be focusing on five places that we find Jesus. And so this morning, it's going to be Jesus in the wilderness, tonight, Jesus at a wedding, on Monday, Jesus on the mountain, on Tuesday, Jesus at a picnic, and on Wednesday, Jesus at the fire. And whether or not you come again after this, it won't matter. All of the services will stand alone, but I hope you'll join us as we go to these places to meet Jesus, to see what it is that he is doing and how that can be transformative for each of us. This morning we will be in the Gospel of Matthew. And the passage that we're coming to is a beautiful and glorious declaration that has just taken place, and Jesus, after that, goes right into the wilderness. From a beautiful and glorious declaration, right into the wilderness. That's where we find Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. He's gone out to the River Jordan and met his cousin, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, as you know, was strange, and he ate locusts, and he wore weird clothes, but somehow he was attractive to people, and they were flocking out to hear him and to be baptized by him. And that's where Jesus also ended up. He asks John to baptize him, and John is hesitant, as I think any of us might be, but Jesus insists... And when he comes up out of the water, like every single person before him that had been baptized, something different happened in Matthew chapter 3. Something amazing, a voice from heaven, what looks like a dove representing the Holy Spirit coming down. And these words were spoken, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased." Oh, if you ask me, that's the perfect time for Jesus to get his ministry started, isn't it? This is what he came to do, after all, is to teach and heal, to perform all sorts of miracles, making a way for people to be transformed on his way to the cross for our salvation. But something else happens first. From a beautiful and glorious declaration right into the wilderness of temptation. We can relate to these sorts of twists in our lives, can't we? Things seem so perfect and then trouble hits. We are having a powerful or a meaningful or a profound experience and we run smack into the mundane, the broken, the hurtful. We know this sort of whiplash that can sometimes take place. And today, what I want us to remember is that we are not alone when we experience this. There is something really powerful in knowing that other people can relate to the things that I've experienced, but there is something even more powerful in knowing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, knows, knows and experienced what you and I experience. So I suppose that's where we're going to dig in today as we look at the scriptures. Jesus knows and while that's incredible, and that's, imbe- that's beautiful, and it's important for us to know, we need to lean into something else. It's not just that Jesus knows, it's that Jesus wants to transform us. For when I understand and you understand that God knows you, God knows me, God loves you, God loves me, God cares about all of us, as we heard in the call to worship this morning, when we have that bit of knowledge, it's not just to say, oh, good, I'm known. It's that God wants to give us a flourishing life, a whole life. That knowledge helps us to move in that next place, known, and transformed, whole and flourishing. That's the heart of the message today. So you can go to sleep if you want. Just remember that Jesus knows, and he wants to change your life forever. I hope you won't go to sleep. I actually hope if you're able, you'll stand with me for the reading of the gospel from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible, which might sound just a little bit different than what you have before you. Then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. And the tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It's written, People won't live by bread alone, but by every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple. And he said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down, for it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they, won't, they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, again, it's written, don't test the Lord your God. And then the devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. And he said, I will give you all of these if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus responded, go away, Satan, because it's written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him and the angels came and took care of him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This passage about temptation is powerful, and it's a powerful way for us to know that Jesus knows. How does he know? Because he too was tempted, just as you and I are tempted. But after hearing those verses read, you might think that Jesus' temptations are very different than our temptations, aren't they? Have you ever been tempted to turn bread or stones into bread? Has that ever been something that you've been tempted to do? That's not something I've ever been tempted to do. I've never had an encounter with the devil where I've been taken to a high place or been offered the kingdoms of the world, which I wouldn't want anyway. They're a disaster, don't we know, right? These don't seem like the sort of temptations that I understand exactly. So how does this actually demonstrate that Jesus knows? Well, we're gonna take some time to look at them together. The first temptation that Jesus faces is when he is really hungry. He's been fasting in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And the text is clear. Did you hear it? Uh, He's starving, is what it said. Very hungry. And when he is weak and when his guard is down and when he really needs to put something into his stomach, along comes the devil. You can turn these stones into bread. Your need right now can be met really easily if you just do what you have the power to do. Make those stones bread. The temptation is personal for Jesus, who's hungry, but it's also beyond that. In Jesus' day, the vast majority of people were hungry all the time. Where the next meal was coming from was a daily question they would have been asking. There was never enough, never a predictable enough crop, never a big enough catch of fish. People could preserve some things, but they didn't have ice or refrigeration. They knew how to protect their grain and their oils. They were able to cultivate, but there were serious risks of vermin and spoilage and even thievery. Hunger would have been so close to every person except the extremely wealthy on a daily basis, not just Jesus, who had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Yes, Jesus needed a meal. But can you imagine what sort of miracle it would have been for all of the crowds if Jesus started turning stones into bread? They came out to be baptized by John the Baptist at the Jordan River. They would definitely come into the wilderness to get bread from Jesus, Jesus's appetite and their appetite. Wouldn't that have been a wonderful way, really, for Jesus to start his ministry? Think of all of the people that he could have connected with. Think of all of the way the crowds would have come immediately. It wouldn't have taken much effort at all. They would have been happy. They would have been fed. And maybe then they would have sat down and listened to a message about the kingdom of God. It would go much, much faster if Jesus fed his own appetite and the appetite of the people. This first temptation of Jesus might be one we would say was a temptation to go fast. So could we relate to this concept? I mean, I might not feel compelled to turn stones into delicious sourdough, although I love that kind of bread, but I could probably find some places in my own life where I have wanted to go fast to feed my own appetite or to feed the appetite of others, all of us have temptations to feed the sinful appetites in our lives, to try to fill the void we have, to medicate the hurt we experience, to feed the stress in ways that actually end up damaging us and dehumanizing others and leaving us empty after all. It's faster to just feed those appetites than it is to get to the bottom of our desires and our hurts and our addictions and our brokenness. It's much faster. I'll just take a little look at this on the internet, we might say to ourselves. Or just a few more sips of that this evening. Or just a little bit more work and a little bit more money so that then I will feel as if I'm valuable. Just a little bit more of whatever it is that is your temptation or my temptation. Our appetites actually reveal something about what we need. But too often we feed them with the wrong things. And when that temptation comes, we know that Jesus knows. When that temptation for you comes to feed your appetite in ways that are not healthy, Jesus knows. And not only does he know, but he tells us what to do. He says, find the food that lasts, take it slower. It takes study of the scriptures, relationships with other Christians, willingness to get help and support and understanding of why we do, the things that we do, and the grace of God to help us. It's much faster to give in to the temptation. But it isn't the flourishing life that Jesus has for us. Now, when we think about feeding the appetite of others, we might need to talk a little bit about people-pleasing Maybe you're pretty good at dealing with the appetites in your own life, that you've experienced the Holy Spirit in such a way that they are temptations, but you don't give in to them anymore. But there are people in your life that you really do want to have be happy and comfortable and to stop acting in the ways that they're acting. And so you behave in ways that give in to what they're asking for. And you do this people-pleasing sort of behavior, which we all know, it never lasts. It never fixes it. There's always more that people want from us. We have our own appetites, but then sometimes we feed the appetites of others in unhealthy ways as well. If Jesus had turned all of those stones into bread and the crowds had come, don't we know they would have been hungry again? Don't we know that their stomachs would have growled again? And don't we know from the history of Scripture that bread really wouldn't have been anymore what they wanted, right? How about some meat, Jesus? We'd like some stones into meat now. We'd like more. We're hungry. We want food. Do it again. And once the crowd knows that Jesus can do this, they're not necessarily going to be there to listen to him. They're only going to want what they want. They're not going to get what they actually need. When you and I allow our appetites to control us, what we find is we're not able to do what God made us to do. We won't have the flourishing life that God really wants us to have. We will move too quickly to feed our own appetites and desires and we will end up hungry and in a place of deep regret and emptiness. Jesus quotes scripture back to the tempter. It isn't just about bread. It's about the word and will of God. My friends, the will of God of God for you is a kind of wholeness that takes time and is slow and does not feed our appetites in a way that leaves us empty and hungry again, but fills us completely by God's grace. The second temptation that Jesus has is to go big. If the first one was to go fast, the second one is go big. Can you even imagine the press that Jesus would have received? The highest place would have been a spectacle in Jesus' day. When you don't have cranes and you don't have heavy equipment, the building of the temple would have been incredibly difficult. It would have been on the backs of countless generations where people would have died in the process of constructing it. Many people would have looked to this point as the most important point. Some scholars have surmised that this highest point that Jesus was taken to would have been somewhere around 15 stories high. Now, that's not very high for us, is it? But in Jesus' day, this high point, for us, it's a building in Dubai that stands 2,717 feet high. I don't need to go up there. Do you need to go up there? I'm good, right here where I am. But think of that, the highest point that you knew about up there on the top of the temple. Imagine Jesus there. Just jump off, the tempter says. Everyone will see you be protected by angels. Think of what it will be like then. We all know if you jump, you won't be hurt. And then the crowds will flock to you. Then your ministry will grow. It's fast, but it is also big because people will be paying attention. This is a real temptation for Jesus. If Jesus knew that his mission was to come to save the world, to tell as many people the good news of a God who loves them and wants to give them true life, if the whole purpose of his ministry is to share this truth with the world about who God is and what God wants to do, think of how amazing this would be, to start with a bang, a spectacle, a show. And we love that sort of stuff as human beings. Satan knew that the humans there would be amazed by this sort of thing because we are captivated by the amazing, the awe-inspiring, the the out-of-the-ordinary. It would be perfect. Then why is it wrong if it would work? Well, Jesus says this time that we are not supposed to put God to the test. And sure, the angels could have scooped him up in midair, but that's not the point. That isn't why Jesus came, to be a spectacle He came to be a savior, not a spectacle. And just like the bread never would have been enough, an amazing act like this, being caught by the angels, wouldn't have been enough either. Do you know how I know? Read the Gospel of Matthew. Over and over again, what does Jesus do? He heals people. And what do people ask him for? A sign. After he has healed blind men, a woman who was bleeding, a child who had died, and a disciple's mother-in-law, the people still say, give us a sign. It would never be enough. Jesus would go big, but it wouldn't last. It wouldn't change hearts. And this temptation is real for us too, but in a different way. For you and I are often in a place where we ask God for a sign. I hear people saying on a regular basis still that they put out a fleece like Gideon. We're looking for the miraculous so that then we will believe. We are wanting to see the spectacle so that then we can have faith. We want Jesus to jump so we can see the angels grab him midair and whisk him off to safety. We are tempted ourselves to put God to the test. Unless this happens, then I won't. Only if a miracle comes will I believe. I will test God in this and then I will make the commitment to follow after Jesus. Does God do miraculous things in our lives? Yes. Have you seen miracles in your life? I have. But the miracle isn't the thing that matters the most, is it? It really is the grace of God at work in us and through us that matters the most. When my husband and I were pastoring a church in California, we had a woman who struggled with all sorts of addictions. And she came fairly regularly, but she was just in a very unhealthy place. Oftentimes she would come into services drunk or high. And this caught up with her in such a way that one time I stood next to her hospital bed and the doctors said to me it was as if her brain was mush because of what had happened to her because of her addiction. And they did not expect her ever to wake up. And as a young pastor at that time, I didn't know exactly what to do but to pray. And I quoted Psalm 23 thinking maybe she could hear this and it would be familiar and she would have the comfort of the good shepherd with her in that moment. And I prayed, Lord, I know you can do a miracle, and we'll give you the glory if if Julie comes back to life here, but she is dead as far as the doctors are concerned, so I don't know, Lord. Do something. And I wasn't the only person who prayed for a miracle at that time, but I'll tell you, Julie showed up to church. She was miraculously healed. The doctors said, we can't understand at all. We don't know one second what happened here. This is beyond medical knowledge and we knew that God can do anything but do you know what Julie would not receive the help she needed Julie continued down a destructive pathway Julie continued in the same place even though we saw a miraculous sign the grace of God at work in her and continues to be at work in her and we trust what the Holy Spirit can do but we know don't we That a miracle doesn't always lead to a transformed life. A spectacle is not what we need. What we need is a Savior. If Jesus had gone big, we never would have been contented with what it was He actually came to do. The final temptation of Jesus is to just secretly bow down to the devil. No one else is looking no one else would know. It would just be between the tempter and the savior of the world, think of it. Right out of the gate, Jesus would have the kingdoms of the world at his disposal. All it would take would be just a quick little bend of the knee, a few worshipful words which Jesus wouldn't mean anyway, and just a little bit of cutting corners and think how easy it would be to share the good news then. Just worship me, the devil says, and think of all the good you can do after that. The temptation for us to compromise is real. The temptation to cut some corners to get ahead, the temptation to circumvent the way things have to be, to end up where we want to be, but to go by a route that is not good is a real temptation. We often feel this temptation to compromise in our daily lives. And I would say to you that I think that we're experiencing it in a very unique way in this particular time that we're living in. I feel as if in my lifetime I have never seen the invitation more broadly for us to compromise than I do right now. And it's to compromise the kingdom of God and our Savior Jesus Christ for our very own nation and political preferences. We are being asked to lift those things up in ways that I see as unhealthy for us as individuals and for the church. There is no allegiance that you and I should ever have that goes above our allegiance to Jesus Christ and to his kingdom. It is dangerous for us to be pulled in this way. We do not want our political preferences, our ideologies, even our love of country to ever rise above our allegiance to Jesus Christ, who is the only one who sits on the throne of our lives. Now, does that mean that we don't celebrate our heritage? Of course not. Does it mean that we don't look at our history and and be glad that we were born here in the United States? Does it mean we don't vote or have political opinions? Of course not. But what it means is that Jesus is always first. Kingdom of God is always first. And that is what then characterizes our understanding of where we live and what we believe and how we vote. Jesus is. First, we cannot compromise on this. The world needs you and needs me to be faithful to the good news of Jesus Christ before anything else. So Jesus was invited to go a different way just as we are invited to go a different way. The kingdoms of the world, just have them, Jesus, with this one compromise. And for you and me, power and position. Oh, it is a... A temptation, but we don't want to go any way but the Jesus way. So the call is for us not to give into the temptations that Jesus was tempted with because they're actually more like what we're tempted with than we might think. To go fast, or to go big, or to go a different way. These are real temptations. And if Jesus had given into any of them, it would have thwarted all that he came to do for our salvation. And we know, don't we, that Jesus really could have given in to those temptations. He really could have said yes, because he's fully God and fully human. Real temptations. But he stood strong. And by God's grace, you and I also can stand strong in the face of the temptations that we have as well. This is our first gathering in a special week that your church sets aside during this Lenten season. This is a time in the Christian faith where we journey with Jesus to the cross. And and at the end of 40 days, you will gather here in this place to remember his crucifixion on Good Friday and to celebrate his resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. What a wonderful time to have a time to focus in and to lean in to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in this particular season. Many of us give up things during this Lenten time, and some of us decide instead of giving up, we're going to take on new things. We're going to find a way to build our hunger for Christ. We're going to do things that help to shape us into who we are meant to be. And so I would encourage you, to engage in this time that your church has set aside, I would encourage you to allow this to be a time where you're going to come together to say, I want to be hungry for Jesus. I want to know him more. I want to experience him in a deeper way. I want to be a disciple. We have simple things that we can rely on to help us. Prayer is one of them, and so I would encourage you during this particular season of the Christian year to continue to engage in prayer. But beyond that, we must be people of prayer. We have access to the God of the universe and he cares about us. Let us be people of prayer. And remember that you have community to help you. In the face of our temptation, we are not alone. So we can pray and ask God to give us grace, but we can also call an accountability partner, talk to a friend, talk to one of the pastors here at the church and say, I'm struggling with this. Will you help me? Will you keep me in check? Because this temptation is real for me. So we have prayer and we have community and we have the Holy Spirit. Don't we? What a gift that we have the Holy Spirit through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sins. And what does Jesus do? He sends the Holy Spirit to be with us, to counsel us, to convict us, to fill us, so that we no longer have to be held captive to the reality of sin in our lives. Will we be tempted? We will always be tempted. But do we have to give in by the power of the Holy Spirit? No, we do not have to give in. There's freedom. There's life when the Spirit fills us. We can experience the deeper life, not just a cycle of sinning, temptation, sinning, temptation, and then asking for forgiveness in the midst of this cycle, back and forth. No, you and I, Part of our tradition in the Church of the Nazarene is we do not have to stay in that cycle. We call this holiness. We call this entire sanctification. We call this the deeper life. What it really means is that we're free to be who we were created to be, filled with God's Spirit, So that the real temptations that Jesus stood against, you and I can stand against the real temptations that we experience. So be people of prayer. Be people of a deep community. And rely on the Holy Spirit who wants to give us that flourishing life. The true heart of the temptations that Jesus faced were to give into an identity different than what his identity needed to be. And that's true for us too. But one of the beautiful things about where we started way back at the beginning of this message, that beautiful and awe-inspiring word that Jesus received as he came up out of the water, his true identity, a son, the son of God, and asking people to recognize that God loved him, it's true for you and me as well. So we're not Jesus. But this is the word of God for you this morning. You are God's beloved son and daughter with whom he is well pleased, whom he loves and has good plans for. It was true of Jesus and it is true of us. When we are disciples, we realize that that is who we are. And we, though tempted, will not give in to temptation by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to make us who we truly already are, children of the Most High God. We can be known by Jesus, and we can be transformed by what he wants to do in us and through us. And when we are, the world will be a different place because we are disciples of Christ. I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward at this time. And as they do, I would like to invite you just to bow your heads. And let's go before the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for your presence in our lives. And as we came to your table today and we received the bread and the cup, we realized that it's a means of grace for us. It will never fill us so that we're not hungry again, but it's a sign and a symbol that you have given everything so that we can have true life, so that we can experience as we partake of these simple elements, your presence and grace And so we give you thanks that you have been at work in us already. And I pray, oh God, that you will continue to be at work as we continue to gather throughout the rest of this time this week. We want to be your disciples. And we face temptations of all different kinds. And we thank you, Jesus, that you stood firm and that you empower us to stand firm. So for anyone in this room who is struggling with temptation, oh God, would you empower them to ask for forgiveness of the sins that each of us may have committed, to receive your forgiveness but to receive your spirit so that no longer will they give in to temptation? Would you remind us that we're connected to one another and that this community of believers, everyone is tempted, and so we should never be ashamed to say to someone else, I'm struggling, I need help. We need help, oh God. Help us to receive the help that is available because we belong to you and we belong to one another. And we pray that you would remind each of us that we are never done on this journey of discipleship, that you always want to do a deeper work in each of us. And so although we may have been sanctified years ago, you want to continue sanctifying us. And so I pray, O oh God, that you would do what you need to do in my heart and in the lives of others here in this room, to take us deeper, to take us further, to lead us closer to who you are. Thank you for knowing us, and thank you for transforming us. I pray you would continue to be at work as we gather. Help us to really take seriously this time and help us to remember, above all other things, that we are your children. And that you love us and that you want to give us a whole and flourishing life. So save us and protect us from temptation and fill us with your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Stand and sing with me, please.
3: Lord, I come. I confess how in need I find my rest. Without you I fall apart. You're the one that guides my. So teach my song to rise to you, when temptation comes my way. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you, Jesus, you're my hope and stay. you. Mm-hmm.
0: has been set. Dinner is on the table. And at my house growing up, when mom called dinner is ready, you had about 10 seconds to show up, right? Because the table was set. The dinner was prepared. And friends, this week, now the table's been set. The dinner has been prepared in literal and figurative ways. And so I'm summoning you to the feast tonight, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Come and enjoy what the Spirit has for us. You've been summoned to dinner. And now may the peace of Christ guard your hearts. May the joy of the Lord be reflected in your faces. And may you go from here to be salt and light in our world. To the glory of God, now and forever. Amen.